Greetings everybody. Today we're going to be talking about finances and I'm going to be teaching that only God could give the tithe. That no one else could actually give the tithe that God had in mind. Only God can do that. Now you might say that you have already listened to my teaching on Jesus is the tithe. Well I'm going to preach it again and I'm going to uh, also bring in a perspective of the kingdom of God and a life wherein you can share in God's quality of life as pertaining to your finances. Now, um, as an introduction, I'm going to talk, I'm going to read one paragraph here, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about giving in the local church and how that works. Because our culture has changed so much. The way church is done today, it has changed so much and I'm not advocating that it must go back to the way it was done in the early church. Uh, I believe God can meet us right where we are. Uh, but I would just give uh, my opinion on what I think and how uh, we should do and how it should work in the local church as pertaining to money, as pertaining to buildings, salaries, and those kind of things. Now, let's start off... <coughs> There's no scripture in the Bible that accounts for giving 10% of your money to the local church. When I address tithing in this message, it would not be an anti-giving message. Giving to the local church is normal and needed for the church to continue in all it does. And it, and it cannot and should not be connected to the tithe in the Bible. In today's study, we're going to see that only God could tithe. How does giving work in the local church? Now, I've thought about this many times. And, you know, I looked at the early church and how they worked with their money. In the early church, it is not recorded that they had these buildings and rent and definitely they didn't have to pay for running water and electricity because they didn't have that. We also don't find that they had a salary structure in the early church wherein they would pay the pastor's salaries and so forth. The way giving worked in the early church when it came to the preachers, it was basically called the apostolic rite. And what the apostolic rite was, it was the right that an uh, apostle had or a preacher had to receive money that people freely wanted to give to him. And we also find that Paul said that that is a good thing. It was a good thing to minister to those who ministered to you. And Paul basically said that the, uh, you cannot muzzle the ox that tread out the grain. And what he meant by that was, it wasn't that uh, a preacher can come and demand money from a crowd. He couldn't go and say, well, I've preached to you and now I've got the right to uh, receive an offering from you and you must give to me. That was not what he was talking about. What he was basically talking about is that should somebody come and minister there and that there are people that want to give to him, he's got the right to receive that money. Uh, that would be if I go and preach at a place and there's somebody that wants to give me $100, then it is not right if someone else complains about me receiving the $100. I do have the right to receive it. 
because it is something that's born from God. It is something that was in the heart of that person. And Paul goes so far as to say that that is a way wherein God provided for people that would preach, although it could not be demanded, where you say, well, I must have that. What he basically was saying is, if people want to give, he said it this way, if people want to give to the preacher, it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing, and do it. And those that, and please don't complain to those that want to do it. And don't put the preacher in a bad light if he receives that. That is basically what the Apostle Paul has said. And we see that that system works very well. Now in our culture, a lot of that has changed. Uh, in our culture, it became um, almost like a show where you get a, a certain amount of money to go and uh, present the message somewhere and with the hotel and the flight and the this and the that and the whatever. Now, if people, and if we want to use the principle that Paul talked about, if there is a church that invites a preacher and says, listen, we will pay um, your hotel and your flight and everything. Would you please come and share a message uh, with with the church here and we would also want to give you some money i don't think there's anything wrong with that if it's born from a free heart and people want to do that i see nothing wrong with it and i don't see the scripture being against that i just see that if we would uh, abuse that and make a business out of that and see how many meetings we can get because we can get more money and we can work it like a business i think to me now, I would have a bit of a problem with that. Now, um, I didn't plan to really speak on the preacher, but I felt that I could uh, say that. I mean, we do have people that say they think it's wrong for preachers to receive money. I do believe it is not wrong for them to receive money should the money be given from a free heart. If the money comes by manipulation and control, I would advise any preacher not to take that money. Um, you don't want to be part of a system that is not a godly system. Rather go without it. God will provide for you anyway. And if uh, there is not enough money for you to full-time preach the gospel, then just do a job. That's it. Get a, a part-time job. Do whatever you have to do and just preach the gospel. Never measure yourself uh, by am I full-time or am I not full-time? What's the size of the crowd? What's this? Never do that. The only thing you can ever measure yourself by is not a thing but a person, which is Jesus, the resurrected, immortal, perfect Son of God representing you, and which is the Word of God about you. And uh, let purity be in our hearts when it comes to the ministry of the gospel of Jesus. What I want to say, and you can hear, that I am not against giving. So if you want to give to your pastor, if you want to buy him a nice car, if you want to do all those kind of things, do it. Do it. But I would want to say, as Paul said, don't forget the poor, don't forget the needy, and don't let that be the objective. Let the church be what Christ is to the world. The, the, the Christ to the world is a source of life. Christ to the world has come to help those that are in bondage. He's come to help those that struggle and so forth. He's come to bring good news. Let the church do that. And uh, if you want to be good to your pastor, do that. Follow what you have 
in your heart. So know that I'm not against giving at all. What I do believe when it comes to buildings and all those kind of things, and I've said this to our local church once, one day it happened in our church in Durbanville, this was years ago, that we couldn't pay the rent. And this is what I said to them. The building and the church and all those kind of things basically works like the local golf club and the, uh, 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 the, the clubhouse. The golf course needs money to, for the upkeep. If you want a very beautiful course and you want to play golf on a very beautiful green, beautiful everything and come and sit in a multi-million dollar clubhouse, the club fee is going to be high. That's just the way it is. And that's how it is with the church. If you come to a building and you want nice chairs, nice air conditioning, nice everything, comfort, it's costing money. It's going to cost you money. And then if you can work it out, if the rent of that building and the electricity and whatever costs, let's say, $10,000 a month, and there's 10 members in the church, you can divide it between the people. It's going to cost you $1,000 a month to go there. That is just what it is we don't have to make it very spiritual we don't have to make it a very fancy thing that is simply what it is if that is where you want to go and you like it there you like the music you like the chairs you sit in you like the air conditioning and you uh, like uh, the way they do it there then support that that is how it works there's no spiritual blessing connected to it in the sense of if you do it, God's going to open a door for you and so forth. I think the running of a local church is very simple. There's certain costs to do it that way. And what we have done, we've developed church around our culture. Uh, in Africa, when I go to Zambia, for instance, the cost to run that church is nothing. I think you can run the electricity and all the costs for that church with $50 a month. You know, and they can have 300 people there and uh, they can have church. They don't have all the, the, the church that I go to in Western Zambia, all the fancy equipment and sound systems and all of that. No, they've got a little wooden drum that somebody that, that you can buy for uh, $5 and a stick and they've got an old bicycle room and another stick that they beat on that, and they worship, and they have tears in their eyes, grateful to God. And there's not a lot of costs involved there. But if I want to go right there, and I want to put up a very fancy church with all those kind of things, it's going to cost money. That is just the way it is. So I want to say this. Um, our culture, we have adopted our culture. We've actually colonized our culture in a great way, the Western church. We've colonized our culture. Uh, in the name of Jesus. And people everywhere think that church must be in a certain way in order to be truly church. But that system takes money. And if you are there and you enjoy it there, don't be bitter to give towards that system. Don't say, well, they manipulate to give towards that system. That is what those things cost. It costs hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars to keep it going. And if you are there, then that is what you support if you feel to do that. Uh, and I think that is the, sim the, the simplicity of it. If it's a normal church, nobody's chasing off the money or big or whatever. The pastor is there. You are enjoying the, the pastor studying the scriptures, um, being there for you and your family. Uh, 
there is an office where you can go to any time and he is there, he's there to assist you, he's there to teach, uh, teach leaders and so forth. And it's going to take for him not to have a salary, uh, not to work a normal job, but that he also needs to live. I mean, give towards the guy. What's the issue? Just give towards him, let him live, let him have that, uh, that salary. I wouldn't like to even call it a salary. I would just like to call it, uh, sp- bless him with it. Sponsor him for what, what the Lord has put upon his heart. It is a good thing. But do it willingly, do it from a pure heart, and don't be manipulated to do that. Um, I think there's not much more to say about this. It is, th- that is just the way it works. What I want to go into next is now um, the tithe, talking about the tithe. Because we have taken the tithe message and we've made it a thing wherein it was a money thing. But I want to show you today that the message of the resurrection and the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ can be seen and should be seen in everything. In the Bible, where God comes to bring his kingdom, which has come to bring his glory to the earth. Now let us read Malachi 3 verse 8, well-known scripture in the Bible says, Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, Where have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes to the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me herewith, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, or basically I will bless you. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground, neither shall your vine cast the fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. Important words here is tithe and meat in the storehouse. Malachi is a prophet. And he is speaking prophetically about Jesus that was to come. And Jesus, when he read the scriptures, he said, and we know that by, uh, by what he taught out of his own mouth, that he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Now, if Malachi is a prophet, we need to go and look at what Malachi said and how it pertained to fulfillment of prophecy. So here we can see that God, through Malachi, is actually saying that I've been robbed. Now, what? was God robbed of? God was robbed of the meat that there had to be in the storehouse. So God wanted meat in the storehouse. Now we will have to go and look at what storehouse means, and we will go and have to look at what the meat is. Now I can say to you just before the time, the meat talks about the body of Jesus uh, wherein Jesus said in John chapter 6 that his body, his flesh, is meat indeed. So when you read Malachi chapter 3, you have to come to the conclusion that God is actually saying that he is being robbed from providing meat to the people. In the type and shadow, you go and read Hebrews chapter 10, 
Hebrews chapter 7, 19. It talks about the law as a shadow of the things to come. Now, in the shadow, if they didn't bring the tithe to the storehouse, which we will still explain what the storehouse was. If they didn't bring the tithe to the storehouse, then God had nothing in that house to give to the widow and the orphan and the Levite and the stranger. So what God was actually saying is, as pertaining to the type and shadow, inside this type and shadow, if the storehouse doesn't have meat in the storehouse, it actually is saying that there is no more Jesus to provide for a lost world. And I want to give Jesus. So God was speaking shadow language here. Wherein we today, after we have seen the substance, we can understand what he was saying. When people didn't bring the tithe to the storehouse, God equated that to, well, you're robbing me from providing Jesus to people. That is what he was saying. Now let us read Malachi 3 again. And I want you to know that when we read flesh or, or, or meat in the storehouse, that it talks about the body of Jesus. <laughs> Will a man rob God? You have robbed me. But you say, where have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now, <laughs> I don't have time to explain the fullness of verse 9 where it says you've robbed me even this whole nation. Some might read it as you've robbed me and you've robbed um, and, and actually the whole nation is guilty of this. I think what it talks about is actually the, um, the job that the Jews had which was to be a light unto the Gentiles that if they didn't have meet in the storehouse, then they as a nation couldn't be a light to the stranger and the widow and the orphan and the outcast, which would come and get that tithe food from the storehouse. In other words, they couldn't be a light to the people outside. They were just like everybody. So they robbed themselves from being that light. Remember, Israel was a type of Jesus. We don't have time to get into that. And they basically then, in the power of typology, robbed God from providing the meat that had to be in the storehouse. Let's read. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me, with, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour out a blessing that there shall not enough room to receive it. Or room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall uh, your vine cast its fruit before time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations shall call you blessed. For you shall be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. So we see here, and I want to just say this, anybody may be slotted in late, I don't believe tithing can be and has ever been money or anything that you give to the local church. There is no scripture that says that. 
I don't know of a scripture in the Bible anywhere that says that the tithe was money given to the local church. Nowhere. I don't see that. It is nowhere to be found in the scriptures. I don't know of one scripture. Uh, I mean, I can't recite the whole Bible. I might miss, have missed one, but on public platforms, many times I, I've asked for a scripture that in context points to tithing as money that must go to the local church. There is none. And should we say that tithing is money going to the local church, then, um, but, and you mean by that that it is not wrong to give to the local church, then I will say, well, rather just say it's not wrong to give to the local church. I mean, it's a local family. It's a, a body there that wants to reach people that's got costs and also want to be a light to the people in the town there, wherein they help the poor, wherein they are good to people, which wherein they spread the gospel to people. I mean, it's, how can that be wrong to support that? What I think is wrong is to use a scripture out of context to say that, because if you do that, you're going to lose what that scripture actually teaches. And there is a truth in that scripture that is liberating and powerful. So we see here that the scripture in Malachi 3 is, and when it talks about the meat that comes to the storehouse, I submit to you, and I will show to you from the scripture, that that meat actually talks about the body of Jesus, for Jesus said in John chapter 6 that my flesh is meat indeed. So Malachi 3 was actually a letter written from the Father unto Jesus, saying to Jesus, Jesus, if the true tithe can come to the storehouse, which is meat in my house, then there will be something to give to the outcast, those that are bound, those that are uh, 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 widows, orphans, those that have no inheritance, that they can be fed from this meat, which in the end of the day is all of us. Okay, I want to read on. Let's go to Deuteronomy 14, verse 28. And we're going to look at this tithe that went to the storehouse. It says, At the end of three years, you shall bring forth all the tithes of your increase the same year, and you shall lay it up within thy gates. Now, if you go and read prior to this, you will see that it says that the tithe was to be eaten every year, but on the third year, the tithe was not eaten, but was laid up in a storeroom, which is inside the town or inside the village. That's what it said. So it says here, at the end of three years, and I'm going to use my own words now, in the context of Deuteronomy 14, you will not eat your own tithe. Because your tithe had to be eaten in remembrance of God. Because the tithe is meat that we eat in remembrance of God. I don't have time to go through all of that. But do yourself a favor. Go and read Deuteronomy 14. You can read from verse 20 onwards, 17 onwards. And you're going to see that the tithe was that which you had to keep uh, um, out of the normal harvest for yourself to basically at the end of the year have a celebration with declaring that God has blessed you wherein you use it on yourself. But it says every third year it shall not be that way but it will be kept in your gates 
And this is what it says. Let's read verse 28 again. At the end of three years, you shall bring forth all the tithes of the increase of the same year, and you shall lay it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no part nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow, which are within your gate, shall come and shall eat and be satisfied, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work that you have done. Now, can you see how Deuteronomy 14, verse 28 and 29, talks about a tithe that had to be laid up? That tithe was tithe of grain. And I'm going to now get to the word tithe and what the word tithe means. We have such a pain in our heart when we hear the word tithe. The Grace Church has got such a pain in their heart when it comes to the word tithe that, they, that we are so hurt that we cannot even hear what God tells us when it comes to a heart of generosity. And that is, uh, uh, that is a pity. Not to point the finger, but you know, it is wonderful to share in a life where everything is not just about yourself. And for you to decide that everything is not about yourself and about others is going to be impossible. It is for God to bring that forth in those who are willing to have a life like that by the power of God. But if we have been abused in a certain area and we've understood that we, the tithe message was and the giving message was simply used to build a wrong, uh, uh, to, to actually support a certain culture in a way of doing things and where we have been lied to as pertaining to finances, it should not be to the power that we can never hear the very grace of God unto sharing in the very same kind of a life as what God has portrayed in Jesus, which was a life which was not about himself, but actually about others. The highest quality of life there is, is God's life. And in the kingdom of God, that is what he's come to give us. Amen. And I want to say to you, in my life, before we continue with this, there was a time when I was so happy that I don't have to give Glory to God. And I am today still happy that I don't have to give. I am so happy. But there was a time in my life when I came to realize, and this is what I said to God. I said, God, it is so nice to know that I don't have to give. But I feel stingy, man. And I know even if I never give, you will love me. But when I look at you, I see you had no fear of not being provided for, and you could go around and feed the 5,000, love on people, be generous, be kind to people. But here am I, I'm loved inside my weakness, and I'm very grateful for that. But it is not nice to want to do something, and I, I'm not able to do it. I want to be generous, but I can't. I want to be free, and I want your freedom. Glory to God. You know what? It wasn't long after that when I started to realize the freedom of the Lord. And He started to set me free. He started to um, put in my heart the ability to will and to do. And it was not about providing for, a, for some church. It was about helping people in need. 
when I feel the compassion of God, that I am not so under bondage as pertaining to how I've been abused uh, financially that I cannot actually even do something. It makes me think of, a, of let's say, uh, a lady that was molested by her uncle or her father or someone. And now um, she's married, but she refuses to be intimate with her husband because she's actually being hurt by the abuse that she had. And now her husband doesn't force her or anything, and she says, well, I am now free never to be intimate with my husband, and he doesn't have an issue with it, uh, and he doesn't force me to do that because he says it's only from a willing heart. That's okay, but I don't want to go there. You know what? You're going to miss out on intimacy with your husband and what marriage can be. You're going to miss out on that. And the very same way when it comes to, uh, to giving. We can be so hurt as pertaining to the tithe and generosity and those kind of things that we are actually living in, in a much lower quality of life in our relationship with God because we are harboring our hurt. Instead of saying, well, I cannot heal my own hurt, I just want to see what God says and let Him start to live in me in that area of my life. Glory to God. Now, I want to just say this. You know, we, we, um, you always find people think, yeah, you know, Bertie's hinting for money. Please. <laughs> I'm not hinting for money. I want to tell you there's freedom. I want to show you that the true teaching about Jesus being a tithe was actually providing meat for you wherein you can share in God's quality of life. That is what it is. And I'm not saying you need, need to give to me or Dynamic Love Ministries or even a church. You know, they might be your neighbor. Your, your neighbor might need something. Maybe you used to give $200 a month to, to, the, to the church, you know, because that was what you normally gave. And now for many years you haven't given. And now you want to be set free. And, and you've asked God. And now freedom comes to your heart. It might be that you can go and take that money. I'm just using some example. Make a loan and buy your neighbor that doesn't have a car a car. And let them drive the car. You know, I, I, who knows what you can do with it. It is what the Lord puts in your heart. And we are the light of God in this world. And His life is in us and will show in us. Glory to God. That's just the, the, the way it is. Um, how are we going to experience the love of God as pertaining to Him living in us? You know, as you believe in someone, who that one is will start to live in you. And that is what's going to take place. <laughs> Glory to God. There's no manipulation or control. It's actually... Uh, 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 we come into a realization of who he is and sharing in the joy that he has, the kind of life that he has. Now, let's get back to Deuteronomy. I went a little bit off the point there. But I believe that uh, it will help somebody. Deuteronomy 14.28 says, At the end of three years, you shall bring all the tithe, um, and the increase of that year, you shall lay it up in your gates. This is now actually prophesying to Jesus. At the end of three years, he will, within the gates, you know, he will, he will give the tithe. What would that be? At the end of the third year of his ministry, what did Jesus do? He went and was crucified just outside of Jerusalem. 
and he provided meat for the widow and the stranger and the orphan, actually also referring to the Gentiles, offering salvation to people. This is what it says here. It says, and the Levite, because he has no, uh, uh, has no inheritance, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, which are within thy gates shall come, and they shall eat and be satisfied. And the Lord God will bless you and the work that you do. It talks about Jesus. The Father is saying to Jesus, Jesus, if you at the third year come and provide your body as meat for people, then let me tell you, as you provide that body on Golgotha, as you provide the, man, the, the, the manna that comes from heaven, I will make you a delightsome land. I will bless you. How did he bless Jesus? He blessed Jesus by raising him from the dead. He said to Jesus, Jesus, if you are willing to die and provide your body as meat for my people, I promise you, I will raise you up. That is, that is Deuteronomy 14, 28 and 29. Because this is meat is for those that has no part, no inheritance. We didn't have an inheritance we were under the law. We were not guaranteed of any inheritance. The, the, the Jews weren't guaranteed of an inheritance because they could not keep the covenant. And the inheritance and everything pertained to the Jews and not the Gentiles. So it was given to the Jews, but they couldn't inherit it because they couldn't keep the covenant. And the Gentiles were also without an inheritance. So right there it says that this meat will be for those that does not have an inheritance to give them an inheritance. It would be for the stranger and the fatherless and the widow. Now, I don't have time to explain to you what the father's house was in Jewish culture back then. But I want to tell you, if you were a stranger, if you were fatherless, or if you were a widow, you were guaranteed to kind of starve. There was no place for you. Because the structure of that culture didn't work like that. To provide for people like that. But we find that the, the Jewish nation, God gave them a way wherein it showed the heart of their father, which is to provide for his people, which was a type and a shadow of what he would do in the future, which would be Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Now, I want to go to Exodus 16 verse 15. We're going to look at this Meat in the storehouse. Remember, Jesus said that my flesh is meat indeed. And we will remember, you remember, that this meat will be for the widow and the stranger and the orphan. That is what it would be for. Now, um, let us read Exodus 16. It says here from verse 15. And when the children of Israel saw it, this was the manna now, talking about the manna that came into the desert. They said one to another, it is manna. Um, manna means what is this I like the Afrikaans word it says uh, and even the King James it says it is man M-A-N because that's exactly what it was Amen Okay, it is manna for they didn't know what it was and Moses said unto them this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat this is the thing which the Lord God has commanded gather of it every man according to his eating and Omer for every man, according to the number of your persons, take every man which is 
um, in his tents. And the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. Now it sounds as if there's a kind of a miracle inside this. It's like they would go out and just get as much as what they want, but when they put it into the omer, all of a sudden it filled the omer. If you just gathered a little bit like that, it would fill the omer. If you had a big bag full and you filled the omer, then it was just one omer. Sounds like a bit of a miracle there. Uh, I don't know uh, uh, how they basically try to prescribe that or, or explain that, but that's what I kind of see there. And it says this in verse 19, And Moses said, Let no man leave of it till the morning. In other words, eat all of it that day. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left until the morning, and the, um, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. And Moses was angry because I think the whole place stink and whatever. And also was typing a shadow of don't keep Jesus on the cross like I've said earlier today. Uh, let's go to verse 31. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. And it was like a coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, let this thing which the Lord commands thee fill an omer of it and let it be kept for your generations. That they may see the bread wherewith it have we have fed you in the wilderness when I broke you forth from the land of Egypt. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer full of manna therein and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. And the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel did eat the manna forty years until they came to the land they inhabited. They did eat manna until they came unto the borders of the land of Canaan. Now, Omer is a tenth of an ephah. Now, that's very, very important. What is an Omer? A Omer is a tenth of an ephah. So, God said, take the manna, put it inside a little measure, which was called an Omer. This Omer was a tithe of an ephah. That word Omer means... To heap up, or it means a sheaf. It's also an omer, which was just a dry measure. That word omer, whenever you would use the word omer, in the back of your mind would be the root word where that comes from. So that dry measure, which was a tithe of an ephah, comes from a root word which means to chastise, to, to heap it up, and to chastise as if piling blows, that is figuratively speaking. So what he's saying is, take one, one omer, let's say a cup, it was about two liters. I don't know what that would be in ounces or whatever, about two liters. Take that amount of manna, and then every man can eat that manna. That w measure, omer, was... From a root word, which means to chastise or pile up with blows figuratively, it was it meant to cut down uh, some of the wheat and make a sheaf of that. That's what it meant. So that word omer meant a dry measure, a heap, or a sheaf. That's what it meant. So it says take the manna and 
cut some of it out and put it in this pot, which was called a tithe of an ephah. So the tithe was connected to the omer, which was connected in the mind of the Jew to uh, piling up with blows figuratively. So what he's saying is take the manna, now we're talking figuratively now, which is Jesus that comes from heaven. This manna has to be broken out of the manna that fell on the ground. It needs to be cut out or measured or tithed or the figurative meaning of that means it has to be chastised and blows needs to be put upon it. That's what, what, what needs to take place. And then you can eat it. And it doesn't matter how much manna you took, if you, if you gathered in that pot, it would always be one potful, which would be chastised manna, a measure of manna. Now that measure, that chief, is also mentioned in Deuteronomy 24 verse 18. It says here, but you should remember that you have been a bondman in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you there. Therefore I command you to do the following. Listen to this. When you cut down your harvest, and in thy field you have forgotten a sheaf or an omer of wheat, you shall not go back to fetch that omer of wheat. Why? For that tithe or that omer of wheat that is left in the field, it shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. So what's he talking about here? He's saying, in the promised land, he said to the people, take a tithe of your increase, put it in a storeroom every third year, that it can be for the fatherless and the widow and so forth. But when they were in the desert, they didn't have a harvest. Then the manna that fell, which is a type of Christ, that manna had to be put in an omer, equivalent to a sheaf left in the field for the widow and the orphan and the stranger. And that is called the tithe. So the connection I'm trying to make is this, that the tithe in the promised land, in Canaan land, is the very same thing as the manna put into a pot in the desert, is the very same thing which Jesus talks about in John chapter 6, where in, I think I do have, I did not put John chapter 6 in here, I don't know why I didn't do that, where Jesus said that my flesh is meat indeed. You can read from verse 28 onwards, John 6, where he says, my flesh is meat indeed. So this, this I want to say, when it comes to the tithe, and we want to connect this to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is what Jesus said all the time. What God said unto Jesus in Malachi 3, bring the chastised manna or put into the shadow of what happened in the promised land, you know, um, bring the tithe, which was basically then an omer, if we see how the connection works, bring it to the storehouse that it can be meat in my house for the People that have no inheritance, that are strangers, the widows, the orphans, that those that are fatherless can have a father. That's what he's talking about, which is a type of Jesus, 
which Jesus is. So it would be, I believe, an absolute sin. Sin means missing the mark. To preach tithing as giving money to the local church. Tithing should be preached as Jesus providing meat to the storehouse. And what did Jesus do when he was uh, breaking the bread? He took the bread, which I saw with the manna, and then he broke it. He tithed it. He, he omered it. And then he gave the broken bread or the omered manna. And he says, eat this in remembrance of me. That night he was betrayed. We know he was crucified and he did not stay on the cross until the following day. You know, when he was put upon the cross, the following day he was put upon the cross. He didn't stay there until the day after that. He was taken off. The manna didn't stay over. So he didn't rot. His body didn't see corruption. For the next thing in the mind of Jesus was the resurrection and he was raised. So what do we see? We eat the manna, the broken body of Jesus. We think of the body of Jesus Christ. And then we eat that in remembrance of the resurrection. So, the tithing that the Bible talks about was God providing a body that could take away death, be raised, that we can say and eat the tithe. And as it says in um, Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, I, did, I do have John there. I just missed it for somehow. You will see on page three of the notes. I've got the Omer definition of the Omer and everything there. Um, but if we go to Deuteronomy, it says there that we will have to remember that we were bondsmen in Egypt and that God has redeemed us. Therefore, you will have one sheaf or if you leave a sheaf in the field, you will not go and pick it up because that will be for the widow and the orphan and the stranger, which is the body of Jesus. So when we break the bread and we eat it, we are mindful of this. We were in bondage under the law. We were in bondage under death. And we eat all of that today. We eat the broken body. Why? For we have the hope now. We're leaving nothing over. For there will, be nothing, there will not be a broken body left over for tomorrow. Because what's left over for tomorrow is the resurrected body of Jesus. So we're not sitting with a rotten body tomorrow. We're sitting with a glorified body tomorrow. And that is why... Um, God, in the typology, said in the power of types and shadows, said to Moses, eat everything today. Nothing must be left over for tomorrow. For we have no more worms decaying us left over for tomorrow. We've got a glorified, resurrected body left over for tomorrow. So when we take the communion, we think of we were in bondage Death has died in Christ and we've got the hope of the resurrection. That is what it is all about. And when it comes to finances and the local church and generosity, we behold the resurrected Christ. We know that our death has died and all the bondage that was with it. And we have now been awakened unto the very nature and image of God, which is generosity. 
as pertaining to money and stuff and substance, it is generosity. It is giving. It is the, the, the influence of God upon us. The grace of God upon the poor churches in Macedonia was to share of their very substance, to give to other poor churches which were in Jerusalem, helping them out. That is what it, what it amounted to. So I want to say to you, if we take the message of the tithe, what it is all about is Jesus setting us free from death and the fruit of the flesh, giving us true liberty to the point that we will be walking in our liberality, experiencing as pertaining to the tithe, the resurrection power of Jesus working into us now, and should we want to connect that to money, it would be an absolute deliverance from the fear of not having, giving us the ability to give and be generous. You know, I want to end off with this. Giving can never make you generous. Giving can never make you generous. But Jesus preached as the tithe, as the manna that came to the storehouse, as the body that was broken for us, which you eat, wherein you eat everything, leaving nothing over, expecting the resurrection, it will set you free. Wherein you will not be at the horrible place. I've been there, I can only call it a horrible place where you want to do good financially to someone, but you can't because you're too bound and too stingy. I'm not saying shame on you. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, I've been there and I was there for many years. I remember there was time when my wife said to me, I was stressing about money and stressing about money. And then she said to me one day, now if you stress about money, you're not the best giver, you know. Um, the only thing that will get you to give when you stress about money is the promise of more to actually feed your fear, uh, to keep you in bondage. That's the only thing. If somebody is very scared they're not going to have, just promise them a lot if they give a little bit, then you will get a little bit out of there or some out of the fearful. That is how it works. I've been there for, for 10 years, first 10 years of our marriage. Uh, I remember one day I was stressing about money again and, my wife said to me, Bertie, God has provided for you in your unbelief for 10 years. When are you going to wake up to the fact that he will always care for you? Now that did help to just give me a bit of a wake-up call. But true deliverance came when I realized fully what Christ has done for me in every area of my life. And also when I came to the point where I said, Lord, I don't want to live a life of bondage when it comes to finances man if i feel in my heart i want to help the beggar or if i want to uh, uh, uh support a welfare organization or if i want to help a family or if i want to give towards somebody that ministers the gospel or ministers somewhere and outreach somewhere whatever i want to do it the other day on facebook i saw somebody doing an outreach somewhere and they had a a fundraising thing there. And I felt, man, I, I want to give $250 for this. I just felt I wanted to do it. And do you know how nice it is not to have five other thoughts? Yes, but, oh, but, okay, Lord, thank you that you don't judge me if I don't give. And I could actually do it. 
just quickly, just click down night. I had the money finished. What a liberality. Glory to God that we can live who we are because we have been made partakers of who and what He is. Glory to God. Church, freedom for all of us. Jesus is the tithe. <laughs> he is the meat in the storehouse. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you so much that I can come today and that I can preach this message and that we can see how the resurrection pertains even to tithing. How the resurrection pertains to tithing as Jesus being the tithe and not even our money. Thank you, Lord, that we can read in the old everything as you serving us with life. And thank you that we can come and say, we desire that life, we want that life, and it's okay for you to bring it forth in us since we cannot bring it forth by our own power. Thank you that we can share in the highest life there is. Amen and amen. Glory, glory, glory. I want to thank you guys for watching. Um, I want you to go away with this. Say, God, this message, and if you listen to this, I'm sure it's touched your heart somehow. If you are a person that struggles when it comes to money and you feel, I'm not generous, and you're just honest with yourself, you don't have a God that's going to condemn you for it. You're not going to God that's going to put guilt on you for it. It's already bad enough to want to do something and to have the frustration not to do it. It's like a person that wants to walk but he's paralyzed. He can't. He's got all the, the heart to want to do it. Now I want to tell you God has got compassion on you. He's not against you. He's for you. And all you need to do is say, Lord, I want you to work it in me. If it takes a moment, glory to God. If it takes a year, glory to God. Whatever. But I want you to share your fullness of your life with me in every area of my life. I want to see that manifestation. And you will see it for Jesus Christ is the, the meat that you need today. That meat that you need to see that the old has died, having the expectation of the resurrection, that tithe, that chastised manna, is Jesus for you today. You are free. Amen. I want to thank everybody for watching, and then I will see you again you guys again next week i want to bring one thing to your attention we send out a daily devotional mondays to thursdays via whatsapp you will see a number on the screen a whatsapp number please just send your name and your country to that number on the screen get the app whatsapp if you don't know what it is this is what you do google google's a wonderful thing if you don't know don't ask five friends just google it You'll find what WhatsApp is and how it works. Google it. Get it on your phone. You can't be without it. It's a wonderful app. Uh, it's all over South Africa. It's a massive app. It's not that famous in the United States yet, but they'll catch up. Get the app. Get it on your phone. You'll get these daily devotionals. I would love to send it to you. It's between two and three minutes long and really encouraging and easy to send to your friends. See you guys again next week. God bless.